0: Earlier this year, we asked you what you wish you'd learned in school, but didn't. This week, we're going back to class and diving into the topics that you asked for in our latest series, In Case You Missed It. As part of our series, we'll talk about media literacy and civics and nutrition. But today, we're getting into all that you didn't learn about personal finances. And remember to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A.
1: This is Rich in Ocala, Florida. I think financial literacy is one of the most important subjects we could add to our curriculum. We live in a capitalist society and more and more a capitalist world. By the time kids leave high school, they really need these skills. And if they don't have them, we're setting them up for failure. If I were in school today, I would really appreciate something that taught me how to budget.
2: Financial literacy. There's probably nothing more that lifts people up than understanding the tool of money in improving their lives.
1: Hi, this is Julia, Winter Park, Florida. I think the most important thing to add to the curriculum is financial health, to teach kids how to be financially solid. When
0: we asked you earlier this year what you wish you'd learned in school, so many of you said personal finance. If you could put a grade on how you handle your finances, what would it be? Maybe a self-assured B or eh, perhaps a more worrying D-minus. In states across the country, dozens of personal finance education bills are pending. Last week, Florida became the newest state to include financial literacy as a graduation requirement. After the break, we'll dive deep into personal finance education, what makes for an effective financial course, and how prepared are Americans to tackle credit, mortgages, and taxes. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. We're talking about personal finance education today as part of our In Case You Missed It series. Here to help us through it is Kara Perez, a financial educator and founder of Bravely Go, a financial education company. Kara, it's always great to have you on. Thank you for having me today. Also with us is Billy Hensley, the president and chief executive of the National Endowment for Financial Education. That's a nonprofit group that promotes effective financial education through research and advocacy. Billy, welcome to the program
3: great to be here. Thank you.
0: And Aaron Standish, the financial literacy coordinator for grades K through 12 at the school district of Palm Beach County in Florida. That's the 10th largest school district in the country. Aaron, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. So Billy, let's jump in here with news from Florida. Last week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law a mandate requiring high schoolers to complete a financial literacy course for graduation. How significant is that move?
3: Well, number one, it's the largest state to require all students to take a course, especially a standalone course. Um, And it's even more encouraging that it received bipartisan support. It it is not a politicized issue uh, for uh, for Florida. And we're really happy to see that.
1: Kara, what was your reaction to this new law? I think it's great. I think that the younger we can start talking with people about personal finance, the more time we give them to learn how to use various tools and the more they can understand how it applies to their day-to-day life. Now, Aaron, what will this new
0: law mean for your district?
2: Well, this is going to mean we're going to have to scale up our financial literacy offerings significantly. Uh, The current requirement in Florida is simply that a personal finance elective has to be offered within each district Uh, which has led to pretty small implementation statewide. So uh, even our district, which has done a pretty good job implementing it over the years, is going to have to significantly uh, up the amount of sections we're offering in our schools.
0: And can you give us an example of what you've done prior to this new law being passed?
2: Sure, yeah, well I focus k to 12 first of all so we've we've taken a really a, a vertically aligned kindergarten up through twelfth grade approach. We've been doing it this is our eighth year of doing it in the school district of Palm Beach county so you know we like to think we've been ahead of the curve on this uh, in terms of high school, which is where this mandate is we have uh, th- this course is, has been in the the Florida course code directory for about four or five years and so you know each year that it's been available we've we've upped our uh, enrollment in that by about 25 to 30 to percent each year. We're talking about the state of financial literacy
0: in the U.S. with Aaron Standish. He's the financial literacy coordinator for K-12 through at the school district of Palm Beach County in Florida. Also with us, Billy Hensley, the president and chief executive of the National Endowment for Financial Education, and Kara Perez, a financial educator and founder of Bravely Go. Billy, how many states currently require a personal finance course?
3: Well, uh, counting uh Florida we're, we're at a place now where we're, we're getting close to 10 that require a, a full semester and uh, 22 I believe at last count that require it to be offered um, you know there's a big difference in that all mandates are not created equally uh, some are just as Aaron said uh, required to offer and it's just sort of there you know um, and we see that the standalone course uh required to graduate is a good equalizer in terms of access. So we're making good momentum, it's slow momentum, but it seems that we're at the beginning of um, an even quicker uh, uptake of this topic. We
0: should mention here that currently 54 personal finance education bills are pending in 26 states. That's according to NextGen Personal Finance. Now, Aaron, as we said, you've been the financial literacy coordinator for your district in Florida for about eight years. What are some of the most
2: successful programs or courses you've implemented? Sure. Well, certainly I take the most pride in our work at the elementary level. I think that's where this uh, subject matter is oftentimes overlooked. So one of our most successful initiatives has been a program known as My Classroom Economy. Uh, it's, it's what it sounds like. We set up classroom economic systems within uh, kindergarten through fifth grade classrooms in which the students earn an income. They have a specific job that they actually earn dollars for. They have certain expenses. Uh, it's specifically in this program, it's they have to pay rent for their desk. And then they have, uh, things that they can buy with their money, right? They We have uh, class auctions uh, at the end of each month, and we have uh, classroom stores in which they can use those dollars that they earn. They can also earn bonuses and, and be fined for certain behavioral and, and academic tasks as well. So uh, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, support district-wide, and a lot of success district-wide uh, for that program.
0: Do you ever get any pushback from parents who who say, I don't really want my kid to learn about money this early. I just want him to go to school and, and, you know, have, have a good time.
2: We don't, that is, that is, I, I can say with, with, Honesty in eight years, I, I have not heard that from, from a single parent. So, uh, with our My Classroom Economy program, it's not just the financial aspect they're learning, but why a lot of teachers and parents as well like it is the behavior management aspect to it. Hmm. It's tying that, uh, uh, the earning dollars to uh, certain tasks that they have to perform. So, uh, no, I have not heard that before.
0: Kara, looking at Florida, this bill passed with bipartisan support. It unanimously passed the State House and Senate earlier this month. And as we You mentioned there are dozens of bills pending across the U.S. to include some kind of financial education requirement. Why do you think personal finances
1: seem to be something a lot of people can get behind right now? I think it's because everyone deals with money. It really is a universal truth of our life. And the amounts that we deal with vary, but everyone is spending, everyone is earning. Um, There are other things where it... Certain other subjects don't feel as relevant to our lives, but every day we wake up, we have to pay bills, we have to go get a job, we have to fill our gas tank. And increasingly, subjects like inflation and cryptocurrency and investing have become daily conversations for Americans. And I really think that most people want to learn how to use money better and want to understand how our financial systems can change to better benefit them.
0: We got this tweet from Bill who says, I took an adult roles and responsibilities class in high school, and we covered personal finance, including how to budget, choosing payment methods, and how to write checks, all of which are skills I still use to this day. Aaron, how did you all make the decision to start the financial literacy courses in those earliest years in elementary school?
2: Yeah, well, the story goes back quite a few years. I mean, I I came from the classroom. I was in the classroom for 13 years, Uh, before taking on this role. And what happened was basically back in 2014, the state of Florida passed a requirement that financial literacy standards had to be covered in the classroom. They were embedded within existing economics courses. And then what happened was local community and family foundations in our area uh, saw that and got together and, and wanted to make sure it was done with fidelity at the district level and also wanted to make sure it was being done at the elementary and middle school levels as well. So luckily with their foresight, uh, we were able to, to get uh, a grant from these foundations to start that work. So, you know, this was back in 2014, 2015, and, and we sort of started from scratch with some bare bones goals. Uh, and have worked from that. Billy,
0: in your work, when do you think is the the most ideal time to start this kind of financial literacy education?
3: Well, the earlier, the better. Uh, You know, the the impact compounds over time. Um, Jumpstart Coalition and the Council for Economic Education recently released standards that go all the way down to early elementary school. And we know that even Sesame Street started talking about uh, money management for preschoolers. So the earlier, the better, and then you can begin to apply those concepts uh, throughout throughout your schooling.
0: Billy, what kind of impact does a good personal finance education have on students once they leave the classroom?
3: Yeah, there, there's very clear evidence on this. Um, for those in particular who are going to college, it increases applications for financial aid. Uh, it increases the acceptance of grants, uh, which are free, and then subsidized loans, which means the government pays that interest while you're in school. Uh, it lowers private loan amounts for, for borrowing. And then in general, uh, in states that have an effective mandate, which means it's fully funded and teachers are, are trained and given the right professional development and so forth, uh, we have much lower default rates on credit reports, uh, higher credit scores, uh, lower non-student debt, uh, and all those lower revolving balances on things like credit cards. So it's a very clear outcomes-driven Uh, work uh, tied to to that, at least the knowledge gain itself.
0: We got this email from Bruce in Michigan who asks, who determines the curriculum? Aaron, in in your district, how is that curriculum developed?
2: Well, it depends what you mean by curriculum, right? People determine uh, what the definition of curriculum is differently. If we're talking, we have, as each state does, we have standards. Billy referred to national standards earlier. We also have state standards. Those are placed down by the Florida Department of Education. Uh, everything we do in our classrooms has to meet those state standards. In terms of if you're talking curriculum, in terms of the actual teacher resources that are used, uh, those are largely determined by the teachers themselves at the district level. We—that is what my position. One of the things my position helps do is evaluate curriculum, is help determine, uh, help teachers how to evaluate the curriculum that they see each and every day. Uh, but typically at the state level, they're not going to uh, push out a state implemented curriculum.
0: We also got this email from Donald who says, how well prepared are K-12 teachers to teach financial literacy? What training do they need or get in order to teach financial literacy? Aaron, I want to hear from you first on this.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of layers to that. I mean, we we certainly recognize that for this to be successful, the absolute number one most important thing is there has to be teacher professional development. Uh, We are gonna be asking teachers who possibly have never taught this course before to teach this course now. We're gonna be asking teachers who have never been trained in how to teach this course to teach this course now. So there needs to be a significant investment made in, in teacher professional development. Luckily in our school district, we've been doing that for you know over seven years now. We, we've trained close to 1200 teachers district wide, K to on, 12 on how to teach that. In terms of at the state level, there was no uh, funding, uh, implemented from the state with this new mandate. However, they did announce when at the signing that there was a $1 million grant uh, that's a partnership between NextGen Personal Finance and the Styles nicholson Foundation uh, to ensure that teachers are going to be receiving a comprehensive professional development on these topics.
0: Here's an email we got from Laurel, who says, When I was in high school, we did have to take a semester of consumer math, but I remember a huge portion of time being spent on buying and selling pretend stocks, which is not something your average 18-year-old graduate is going to need right away. I wish there had been more of a focus on budgeting, the real cost of credit, and how to manage credit responsibly. Erin, your, in your courses, what
2: are some core skills you're trying to teach? Sure, a lot of the skills you just said, we we absolutely teach. Uh, you know, we teach students to manage debt. We know that's very important. Uh, we teach students to evaluate careers and look at the incomes that each of those career makes. Uh, we we teach students to evaluate college choices and poten- their potential career earning potential in those uh, college choices. We, you know, macro looking at it at a macro level, we teach students to be informed consumers, right? To to look out for certain marketing techniques right? to teach them that there's always somebody trying to detach them the money out of their wallet. Uh, We teach them to protect themselves from fraud. We teach them how taxes affect income. So this is a very broad it does not. It's a very broad course that does not just teach investing. Investing is a piece of it, but it is one piece of of the course.
0: We also got this email from Amy, who had a different experience with consumer math. Amy says, "When I was in high school in 1972, I took a course called consumer math. It was one of the most useful courses I took. Our homework, our homework was real world experiences. The car buying exercise continues to serve me well today." Uh, Billy, first, when we look nationally, do we see financial literacy courses displacing other things?
3: Well, you know, there's only so many minutes in a day when it comes to education. And and this is a struggle no matter the topic, no matter if it's considered a core, you know, uh, algebra course or what have you, there is debate about what's most essential. Um, I think this conversation needs to be driven by parents, it needs to be driven by the students themselves to some extent, as well as those who are hiring. You know, what What do our uh, new hires need? What does our community need? And all of those things are, are, are needed, in my opinion. But there are lots of um, thoughtful uh, people that are working toward these solutions. And I think that if it, if it comes down to an either-or situation, maybe we need to rethink Certain uh, experiences that students have, or, or how much time we're spending on certain subjects, but I will say that uh, very few courses are going to have an immediate, direct impact on your ability to sort of make changes and decisions in your personal life, whether they be financial or uh, you know how do you set priorities and your goals and what's next. So it doesn't um, it doesn't mean all those other courses are not important. I personally loved my electives as a student, but I think that we need to look at the world we're living in, how much more complicated the financial system is, and uh, empower students to be able to launch with those skills.
0: Aaron, how will it work in Florida after this new law goes into effect?
2: Yeah, we don't have a lot of answers to that right now, to be perfectly frank. I mean, the, the bill was just signed last week. So what's gotta happen now is the Florida Department of Education is gonna to have to take that and is gonna to have to build some rules around the implementation of it uh, in terms of you know, which, certific- which teacher certifications will be allowed to teach this, right? Which discipline will this fall under? Which precise course standards will, will be implemented in this course? So the answer to those questions is going to really help us determine on where this is going to be taken out of. But you know, I, I I certainly don't like to look at it in in that frame of, of what's it take what's it taken away from. It's not adding any credits to to have a student earn a diploma in in the state of Florida. They still have to earn twenty four credits. Uh, they're still you know most students are given more than ample opportunities to earn those 24 credits. I know in our school district, if a student takes you know, each of their courses through the four years, that's 32 credits they'll have the opportunity to, to learn. So there's still ample opportunity to take other electives that they're choosing.
0: Erin, as this moves forward, what kind of support would you like to see given to schools and teachers to make financial literacy a, a reality for all districts? You mentioned this million dollar grant uh, to help support teacher education, but I wonder if that's going to go far enough.
2: Yes, that's exactly what we'd like to see. We'd like to see uh, more nonprofits uh, and organizations step up uh, to be able to provide that. We know we already have a really good financial ecosystem in place, where there's quite a few providers that provide both financial literacy curriculum at no cost and financial literacy professional development at no cost. So it's a matter of we also have in our state we have a uh, we have the Center for Economic Education, which has five university-based Uh, centers that do a lot of good professional development around the state so a lot of it it was alluded to I believe in an answer by Billy earlier is a matter of making those connections you know I'd like to see somebody at the state sort of serve as that uh, unifying point as that conduit to be able to make connections to that ecosystem we already have place uh, in, in the state to those districts that maybe aren't doing so much of it right now.
0: That's Erin Standish. She's the financial literacy coordinator for K-12 at the School District of Palm Beach County in Florida. Erin, thanks so much for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure being here.
0: We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Now let's get back to our conversation about personal finance education and how prepared Americans are to tackle their pocketbook. Let's jump in here with some more of your thoughts.
1: I'm calling because I'm a teacher and an author. And there really aren't that many books or classes out there for children
0: to learn about financial responsibility. I have taught classes in that in my private school and in my homeschool tutoring groups. And I
1: recognize that it's a real need.
3: Our school has been using the Dave Ramsey Financial Instructions Education Program for a number of years now. It covers a wide range of things, including buying a used car, insurance, all the way up through planning for retirement.
0: Karen in Florida and Ron in Virginia, thanks for leaving those messages. Millie, what are some good resources for teachers who want to include financial literacy in their classrooms?
3: I would say start with um, the national standards, especially if you're teaching elementary school students. Um, There aren't quite as many uh, resources as as was noted um, uh, for for younger students, but it doesn't mean they're not available. Uh, I would start with some of the organizations we've mentioned here, Uh, specifically the Jumpstart Coalition for Personal Financial Literacy. They have a clearinghouse uh, on their website where you can go in and it's like an e-commerce site where you can choose what the topic is, what's the age group, and then it will show you um, and how long you want to teach the course, for example, and it will show you all the resources that have been vetted and made available on that site, uh, as well as uh, some of the others we mentioned, Next Gen Personal Finance, the Council for Economic Education, and they have affiliates that go down to um, all the way through elementary school.
0: Here's another voicemail we got. This is Walter in Indiana
3: be a good idea if students would learn that when they take out a loan that they must pay it back, specifically regarding college loans. And that'd be a very important lesson to learn in accounting. Thank you.
0: Kara, you have a personal story about paying off student loans. How important is it to teach students about borrowing money before they make that decision?
1: I think it's hugely important. I did graduate college with about $25,000 in student loan debt, and I had to work five different part-time jobs to pay that off um, because I could not find a full-time job. (laughs) The millennial struggle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think when it comes to teaching people about how to manage debt, the interest rates really, really must be stressed. What is a variable interest rate? How can that change? What factors go into it changing? And when do you need to be aware of when it might change? That is how so many people stay in debt for decades. And it's something that is not talked about enough in financial education.
0: Here's an email we got from Michael who says, how do you keep your content current? With the financial vista constantly changing, for example, cryptocurrency, will the course have lasting value? Billy, how are you thinking about that?
3: Well, you know, we've come a long way in this industry in terms of trying to be adaptive. You know, there there was this sort of thought process of, oh, it's all the same and you calculate interest the same. Well, yes, that's true. But the financial landscape has become much more complicated. And one of my colleagues in the field says that we've shifted. We have to be CFOs of our life Um, and not just in budgeting, but also thinking about retirement and how do we sort of fully fund our life from the time we launch from home until the time we... Are gone, and um, and so thinking about what that looks like, we we've come a long way in, in adaptability. Uh, so many of our peers that provide direct curriculum uh, to learners, whether they be adults or students or teachers, are are insta- um incorporating these topics very thoughtfully. They're interactive now. Um, we're looking at trendy topics and saying, you know, is this a, something you should even consider? And what are the pros and cons of what's getting the headline today? We all know what gets the headlines in personal finance uh, and how do we uh, negotiate that? And what does that mean? And what does managing risk in your life look like? That is one topic that I think that has become central for a lot of us in this, uh, in this community is looking at managing risk. And that is not just insurance, which is important. But it's also your your online identity, and it's what kind of risk are you taking in decisions you're making, as well as how do you invest in, in these flashy new topics that we keep hearing about.
0: Here's a tweet we got. I would have benefited from learning about 401ks and IRAs when I was that age. What can kids or young adults making modest
1: incomes do to begin preparing
0: for retirement?
1: Kara, what do you think? Well, Uh, You are able to open a custodial IRA as a parent or guardian. So if you do have a 14-year-old that has started working and will be paying taxes, you can open that account with them. I think that's a a huge thing that parents can do for and with their children. But even beyond that, helping your 16-year-old, and this is quite the challenge, but helping them understand that they will someday be 30, they will someday be 45, And the earlier they can start developing the habit of saving, the habit of allocating money out of their spending accounts into their savings, into their investments, the more that will serve them later in life. Here's an email we got from Thomas, who says, I used
0: a three-pronged approach to teach my kids spend wisely, save wisely, and charitable donation. I haven't heard charity discussed as part of financial literacy. And Kit emails, where and how does the need or value of charitability fit into the personal finance classes? I'll come to you first, Billy, on this. Is that something that's included in, in national standards?
3: Well, we talk about values, you know, what's important to you, um, how do you make these decisions? It, it, you know, we don't believe, especially where I work, but in general, in our industry, that personal finance is a value-free exercise. It's not It's not an objective um, experience. You know, you make decisions based on your priorities, based on your goals. And, you know, charity is close to my heart. Not only do I work at a nonprofit, but I give to charities. And I love that this is starting, you know, with parents and at home. But our industry has embraced this because we look at the topic from a point of how do you live your best financial life? How do you create financial well-being as much as possible and what's available You know, next? And charity is, is paramount to so many of us.
1: Kara, how often does charitable giving come up in your coaching? Quite a bit, actually. Most people want to incorporate some sort of donation into their budget. They just don't know how. And I will share that I'm a small business owner and one of my streams of income, I have a Patreon community and I take a percentage of my Patreon earnings every month and put it into a mutual aid fund where I use that money to help my community members pay off debt. Paying off debt is how I got into the world of personal finance. I think this is also something that we can teach from the business aspect of you can incorporate giving into your business the same way you can incorporate giving into your budget going back to that value. Ask yourself, what do you care about? Ask yourself, what number makes sense for your life? And then helping kids and even adults understand how can this be an ongoing practice? Charity or donations don't just have to be a one-off. They can be a monthly thing. They can be a quarterly thing. And it can happen for decades of your life. Well, let's listen to some more voicemails we got from you. Hi,
2: my name is Abby. I'm calling from Detroit. I wish I would have learned about taxes in high school. I um, went into the adult world knowing nothing, so I definitely wish we would have gone over that a bit.
3: Hi, this is Ron, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, My daughter is now expressing that she really wished that she had had some education on things like uh, insurance and taxes. She's in her early 20s now, facing these things really for the first time. And it's uh, quite a challenge for her to understand what taxes are, what they're for, what they're used for, uh, how you go about they get collected, how they're being paid, and so on.
0: Now, Kara, taxes are due April 18th, so it's just around the corner. And this can be frustrating for people who are just learning how to file. What do you think people need to, when we need to start learning about taxes and tax preparation?
1: I would say this is an excellent topic to introduce freshman year of high school and to reiterate each year afterwards. Um, I think freshmen are able to understand how our tax system works. Any younger than that, I think it's going to be a little bit tricky to really emphasize that. But especially if you're working in high school, you may already be paying taxes. So it's very important to, to understand that. And I would say for anyone who is a new graduate, getting in touch with a CPA or taking an online tax course, so important and will serve you for the rest of your life. So there are a lot of free resources out there that can help break down this information for you. I want to wrap on this email from Heidi, who says,
0: I'm a 70-year-old woman and I'm terrified of anything to do with managing finances. Never learned to think about it when I was young. Billy, we've got just about um, 30 seconds here. What's your advice for people who panic every time they think about this subject or have to look over a bank
3: statement? Well, take a deep breath. Um, let's work to demystify this topic. Let's, let's get everyone on the same page of understanding so that we, we know that we all struggle with this topic. Let's not try to be anything other than ourselves and, um, and, and put the facts on the table when it comes to money management.
1: Kara, your thoughts? I- I agree. Put the facts on the table. I think we need to talk about the systems we live in as well as our personal responsibility. Those two things complement each other. They are not in opposition with each other. That's Kara Perez, a financial educator and founder
0: of Bravely Go. Also with us today, Billy Hensley, the president and chief executive of the National Endowment for Financial Education. Kara, Billy, thanks to you both. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.